0: Ah, it's you again, you're early. Welcome back to the Gallery of Curiosities. As always, I'm your host, Osgood. I've been spending the entire month cleaning up after the Halloween festivities. Business was brisk, which will get us through the slow season coming up. I must say that... Now, who could that be? Hello! Oh, it's you. The delightful little princess from last year. Halloween was last month, child. Go away.
1: Don't you think I know that? I know better than to come around your place in October.
0: Ah, I see I've underestimated your intelligence. If you're not here for candy, pray tell what is with the new costume. What are you this time? A marine?
1: Listen, I don't want any trouble, mister. I'm just here to sell you some cookies.
0: Funny, I don't recall a flak jacket being a part of the regular uniform. I hadn't realized that you'd all been militarized.
1: Be prepared, that's my motto. I've been here before, I saw what you keep in your closet.
0: (laughs) My child, if you had even an inkling of what I keep in my closet, you wouldn't be at my door at all. But, you did say something about cookies?
1: Why else would I be here?
0: All I see is an imposter of a scout in a questionably authentic uniform trying to sell me cheap knockoff cookies.
1: Hey, how do you know they're knockoffs?
0: Perhaps the fact that they're packaged in brown paper bags and labeled with magic marker?
1: That doesn't mean they're cheap. I only use the finest ingredients. I cut cost on packaging.
0: Are huh. you... Telling me that these cookies are homemade?
1: Aren't the best cookies homemade?
0: Do you always answer questions with a question?
1: What do you mean?
0: No, think nothing of it. What are you offering?
1: I have four delicious varieties. Mint Maoris, my best seller. Tinfoil hats, dualities, and thanks for nothing.
0: Hmm, intriguing array. What's in the Mint Maoris?
1: Lots of yummy stuff. But the main ingredients are cheese Whiz and Crushed Up Winter Green Lifesavers.
0: You don't say. Dare I ask about the tinfoil hats?
1: You know those little silver confectioner balls? Yes. And you know Rice Krispie squares?
0: Detestable, but yes.
1: Okay, they're just like Rice Krispie squares, except instead of Rice Krispies, you substitute those little silver balls. Mm. And if you break a tooth, I'm not liable, because I'm still a minor.
0: How very appealing. And the dualities, what's in those?
1: Don't ask. You don't want to know.
0: Indeed. And what about the bag of thanks for nothings?
1: Those are my personal favorites. They look like bread, but they taste like cake.
0: Off with your head. What? Never mind. Uh, I'll take a bag.
1: Good choice. That will be $12.99.
0: Are you (laughs) kidding? Outrageous. The price on the bag says $4.
1: That's the base price. It doesn't take into account taxes, service fees, and other hidden costs.
0: Well, it seems I only have a hundred dollar bill in my wallet. You can make change, I assume.
1: You're joking, right?
0: Uh, oh, wait, I'll just put down my wallet here on Credenza so that I can check my pockets. Uh, Ah, yes, here's ten. Now just wait here while I fetch the change from my study, hmm? While I get her change, let's get you started on a story. Never mind, Mr. Tennantino! Our author this evening. Daniel Osema is a writer, runner, parent, and teacher. He's had short stories and poems published in many publications, including Strange Horizons, Daily Science Fiction, and Diabolical Plots. He's also the creator of the steampunk fantasy trilogy, Spire City, which shares a setting with the story that you're about to hear. Daniel lives in Colorado at the foot of the Rockies, It will be read for us this evening by Miss Laser White.
2: Against Mint Justice by Daniel Osema There were three keys to snagging a matched pair of riding beetles. Timing and distraction were the first two. Always before I'd been shunted off to be the distraction a shout, or a scuffle. Everyone turns their head when a little girl screams, and I can scream with the best. Not that I'm a little girl anymore, mind you. Let's get that straight. But I can sound like one. This time the distraction would be up to Sips, who couldn't scream if his life depended on it, but he could start a fight easy as I could scream. As a factory whistle blew, I moved into position, strolling casually toward the team we wanted and its fancy carriage. The timing was up to me. Sips might distract people for an instant, but I had to be near enough to slip in and cut the tresses while the distraction lasted. Too soon and the carriage driver would notice me, and even Sips' noise wouldn't be enough. Then the distraction only makes them watch me closer. So I approached our target at the perfect pace, The beetles weren't quite matched. I would have called either one black, but side by side, one was merely dark gray. Both had prominent horns on their snouts, but each distinct. One curved high in a single sweep, sharp and deadly. The other forked into two main spurs, which branched into small points that looked soft. At just the right time, an explosion sounded in the square beyond the street I was in. Not what I was expecting, how had Sips got his hands on explosives? But no matter, it was the distraction I needed. I ran to the beetles. Screams of pain came from the square, shouts of surprise and calls for help. I hoped Sips was fine. I slipped between the beetle team and the carriage and sliced through the tresses. There was a heavier wooden beam joining the team to the carriage as well. Odd. Usually, only flying vehicles bothered with anything more than leather, and this was not a flying carriage. Had to get it off, though, before our leader, Kest, arrived. It was a simple matter of removing one long bolt. By the time I had it off, Kest strolled up. The driver saw him long before he reached the carriage. That's why he needed people like Sips and me to help him steal. He was taller than anyone else in the street, made even more so by his huge top hat, and big, wide shoulders and a stunning black coat stretched to its limits. What really made him stand out was his arm, or rather, the industrial hose he'd grafted onto his shoulder when he'd lost his arm in a factory accident. He claimed that it gave him control of the beetles, something Sips and I couldn't do on our own. No one missed him no matter his timing. But with the trusses already cut, he didn't need to worry. He made straight for the beetles, ignoring everyone. I scrambled onto the back of the dusky beetle. Remember how I said you need three things to steal a beetle? Well, the third is luck. We didn't have it. Turns out, the rigid beam was because these were flying beetles, even if the carriage wasn't for flying, and maybe something in Sip's explosion spooked them, or something in Kest's approach, or something else entirely, but without warning, both beetles raised their carapace wings, extended their flight wings, and took off, with me clinging to their backs. The cobbles fell away below me already too far for me to drop. I grabbed onto the ridge of the beetle's carapace wings and pulled myself forward as it flew. My arms were already dead to any effort of my muscles, but not dead to the pain, far from it. We flew up past a spire. The singer chained to its top, looked right at me, but gave no sign he thought it strange to see an urchin like me clinging to a beetle's back. Maybe he sang about me in his incomprehensible song. At the height of the singer's perch, the beetle leveled off. That eased the pain in my arms. I squirmed forward until I was right behind the beetle's head. I sat astride there and tried my best to enjoy the view. What other petty thief could say she'd ridden a beetle like this? Below me, the city, in all its crumbled brick, cobbled street mess and madness... The clang of factories and the songs of the spire singers. The barking calls of merchants taking to the streets. A steamer pulled into the city's harbor. A shrill whistle told me a train was leaving, though all I saw was a puff of smoke as it pulled away. All of it there, just for me and my beetle. No harness, no carriage, no reins, no control. As soon as the thought came, my whole body froze. What was I supposed to do without anything like Kest's arm to let me control the beast? I imagined it flying on and on, never coming down to let me off. It would leave Spire City behind, head to that distant, desert homeland of the beetles, and my dead body would be forever riding its back. Not a terrible monument, come to think of it, but silly. Why would the beetle leave? It couldn't remember that other place, surely. Besides, even if it did fly for a long time, eventually I'd just fall off and die that way, not made into a statue on its back. Not exactly a reassuring reminder. Fine, I had to come up with some way to guide my mount. It had two big antennae, just a short way from where I was holding on. Maybe I could steer with them. I wiggled forward. Then, cautiously, I reached for one. It gave off a powerful vibration. My hand was shaking before it got within a fist-width. No, that couldn't be right. I pulled it back, tried the other one. I fought the tremors, but as soon as my hand brushed the feathery edge of the antenna, the beetle veered. I grabbed onto the beetle with both hands, pressed my face hard against the carapace, not before catching a glimpse of the streets below, spinning dizzily as the beetle veered and righted itself. Once its flight calmed down, I stayed in that position. With my arms spread so wide, I could move the beetle's entire head with surprising ease. I turned it to the right, and the beetle swung that way, not a sudden turn, but clearly in response. Who needed Kest's arm? I looked behind me at the route we'd flown, ready to be proud of surviving so far. Instead, I saw a pair of police on sleek, fast-flying beetles, chasing me. And below, a whole squad of cops racing to keep up with me in their steam cars and electric cycles. Steer my flying beetle as much as I could. There was no way I was going to outrun those cops. But I might at least leave the grounded ones behind. In the middle of the next block, I turned my beetle's head toward a gap between two tall buildings. The hiss of racing steam cars sounded even above the other noises of the city, but no way they would catch up. That didn't help me with the two flying beetles on my tail. In fact, they'd cut the corner and shortened the gap between us. Another block, maybe two, and they'd be on me. How to escape them. Best bet was to ditch the beetle somehow, but I had to do it in a way that the beetle kept flying without me. Then the cops might focus on the stolen beetle while I escaped Easy enough to do on the ground, at least in theory But to do so from the air without dying in some dramatic fall A spire rose up above me Its chain singer was on a platform that stuck out below the peak of the building I steered my beetle up toward it My pursuers sped up, only a few beetle lengths behind now Couldn't slow down then We raced straight at the singer's platform. Not that I knew how to slow the beetle down anyway, or speed it up for that matter, which was the problem. If I knew that, I might not need to bail. Maybe that's what Kest used his hose arm for. All I could do was steer the beetle as close as it would go to the balcony. At the last moment, I jumped. Jumping down from a moving carriage onto cobbles is not the same as jumping up from a flying beetle. I leaped and misjudged both the beetle's speed and the height. I tumbled through the air. Too high, I was sure to miss the platform entirely, fall down the other side. No, I amended my first thought. I wouldn't fly past it at all. I started to fall to the rock of the platform. It wouldn't be a pleasant landing. I braced myself and struck the singer. We both crumbled to the floor, dazed. I rolled away from him and scrambled up as well as I could. Dizziness. The spire spun. I took a step toward the little door that led inside. It wouldn't be locked, right? As soon as I had my hand on the door, I noticed the singer still lying there where he'd fallen. I couldn't just leave him. I jumped back to his side and held out my hand. He hesitated, as if he thought me too small to help him, but then he took my hand and scrambled to his feet. As I headed for the door a second time, I saw one police beetle flying off after the stolen, riderless beetle. Only one. The whirr of beetle wings sounded behind me as a beetle landed. The cop didn't dismount right away. His steam pistol hummed as he pulled it out and aimed it at me. "'I think it's time you came with me, Urchin.' "'What did he think I was? Some dangerous criminal?' "'I lifted my hands up, but didn't go any closer. "'I'm not... I mean... I didn't try to fly away on it. "'It just took off under me.' "'Weak excuse. "'I should have thought of something better to say, but nothing came to mind. "'So I pushed my hands up higher, as if that could convince him to be lenient. "'I could just shoot you instead.' It'd probably save us all from more pain, since you'll only grow up to be a petty crook anyway. He shrugged without changing his aim. An impressive feat, if it hadn't been me he was aiming at. We call it mint crime fighting. Seems harsh, but really sharp and sweet. Refreshing. He would do it, too. I could see that in the eyes, just visible behind his flight cockles. Could I explain about Kest and be let free? Doubtful, the way he was watching me. Besides, I might not much like our band's leader, but I wouldn't betray him just to escape this cop. I took two steps toward the beetle, then stopped. What if he decided to do his mint justice while he was flying away? A little shove, and I'd die falling. Easy to explain away, and no need to even waste a shot of his steam gun. Where will you take me? I asked. You'll know when you're there. The spire singer clattered over. I wish to hear, too. Where will you take this child? A spire singer? Talking? Concerning himself with anything besides his songs? I'd never heard of such a thing. The cop leaned back in surprise as well. Worry about yourself, singer. Songs and beetles. Nothing else concerns you. Beetles? What did the singers have to do with the beetles? Before I could wonder any more, the singer opened his mouth. The notes he sang were surprisingly loud, so forceful I dropped to the floor. The beetle's feet slipped on the stone, scrambled, and then pushed off. The police gave a shout as the beetle flew away, but the sudden movement must have kept him from shooting. By the time I lifted myself up to look, he was out of sight around the corner. Only his angry curses lingered. Um, thanks. I wasn't thinking about the words or looking at the singer, just staring where the cop had gone. How had that happened? Was it something to do with what the cop said, singing and Beatles? It wasn't for you, child. The singer's voice had notes of music in it, as if the songs came from inside. I'd nearly forgotten that I was sprawled there on his platform. His home, really. I stood up. My moment of embarrassment passed quickly as I blurted, "'Do you control them? That's a singer's secret, isn't it? That you control the Beatles?' "'I don't like you up here either. Just because I didn't want that police officer on my perch doesn't mean I was doing it for you.' When I didn't say anything else and made new move to leave, he relented enough to say, no, not control. We sing their maps, that's all. But you did, I insisted. I saw you force that beetle to leave. Well, the singer looked half annoyed and half pleased, and I realized how young he was, not much older than 20, I'd guess. Let's just say that sometimes a map can only show one way to go and be pretty insistent about taking it. But it's not easy. Most of the time, our songs have even less control than the words you unchained people use to fly them. He shook his head, annoyed he'd bothered to answer me. Now, scat, this is my perch, not the police's, and not yours. As I descended the narrow stairs inside the wall, I realized what he'd said. Words! Words were what controlled the Beatles. Not police, and not singers, and certainly not Kest's arm. Simple words anyone might learn. Words I might learn. I jumped down the last of the steps and out into an alley beside the spire. Forget about going back to Kest. What I needed was a taxi driver who would take me as an apprentice. And one day, well... I'd keep an eye on that cop if I could. And if I ever saw him or anyone trying to pull their mint justice, I'd make sure they didn't get away with it. One way or another.
0: Ah, here we are. Twelve dollars and exactly ninety-nine cents. Now... Where did she get... And where is my... Dear, dear, dear... That wave is still in my wallet. Such is the state of youth these days. At least she left the cookies. I suppose I'd better go cancel my credit cards before she can get to a computer. With those short little legs, I shouldn't have to rush too much. But it does mean that we'll have to close for this evening. Do come visit us next time at the gallery of curiosity. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. If you like the show, do leave us stars and reviews on iTunes and tell all your friends to listen. And if you really like us, consider joining our Patreon campaign. If you don't like us, why are you here? This evening's story music was by... Brett Van Donzel and Kevin McLeod. Some sound effects were obtained from ZapSplat. Our theme song is "Ashes, Ashes" by Deus Ex Vepora Machina. This episode was released just barely in November of 2017. For full show notes, do visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com. Hmm. Not bad, actually. A bit stale, though. Rather like me.